This is Mark Fletcher, and welcome to my world. Welcome to Southern Tales, tall and otherwise. In physics, a color is visible light with a specific wavelength. Black and white are not colors because they do not have specific wavelengths. Instead, white light contains all wavelengths of visible light. Black, on the other hand, is the absence of visible light. An elementary school teacher of mine used this to criticize the word colored. She said we're using it wrongly. Of course we were. She dismissed the point, like so many others of her generation. And like I say, it's just a Southern thing. Sit back and enjoy. Southern Tales, Season 2, Episode 10, Black and White and Poke Clark. You know, oftentimes, life is not about the truth. It's about your perspective. Sometimes perspective is your truth. Sometimes it's about your environment. Sometimes it's about your mental capacity to understand the difference between the two. I was a bit of an outlier. You see, while I grew up in the South, my parents grew up on the other side of the Mason-Dixon line. The things that I saw at home and the things that my friends saw at home were totally different things. And it affected who we were and what we did. And that's where we're off to tonight. And while there may be some disputes about the actual facts, this is the way I remember it. And in my opinion, every goddamn word is true. I want to jump in real quick and mention once again that our season two theme music is from Audra Brown, a Memphis recording artist who has several records out. Uh, you can find her music at bandcap.com or cdbaby.com. This record's called Nitro and it's from her album, The Cody Sessions. She's been described as a mixture of Kurt Cobain and Joan Jett, and that's pretty damn cool. But I encourage you to support her in all music. Please pay for your music when you get it. These artists out here, that's their only means of income, and it's important. So once again, welcome to the Southern Tales Podcast. And on tonight's podcast, we're going to roll through about 50 or 60 years of history 
and talk about things black and white. That's right. People who just happen to have been born with different skin pigment and into vastly different circumstances. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, I would strongly advise it. You'll get much more perspective about tonight's show and meet some of the characters we'll talk about. Make it more fun, I think. Do it if you want to, but what the hell. So, I got to the South just in time to start first grade. Katie McKellar Elementary School. A large brick institution, sort of on the wrong side of town. All the cool white kids went to Park Avenue Elementary. And the names described them well. Katie McKellar. It was old and stoic. Park Avenue was new and modern. Of course, I didn't even know Park Avenue existed. As I entered first grade, our town had made a decision. They were going to try and experiment. You see, there was another school in our town called Polk Clark. The Polk Clark School, which is originally known as the Gibson County Training School, had long served the educational needs of the local African-American community. Listen, it was first constructed in 1926 as a Rosenwald School, and it was added on to over the next 40 or 50 years to where eventually it was 50 rooms sitting on 15 acres of land. And the school remained open, actually, after integration came to Milan and it served the community as, a, as an elementary school until its closure in 96. What's cool about this school is that long before integration, it was supported by the U.S. government. You see, the Army Ammunition Plant, where I lived, was built in the 40s, and the government gave our town money to educate future, future workers, you know, that being a national emergency and all. And the local government, all white folk, put money into the black school as early as 1948. And then as the Cold War continued to the 50s, Milan continued receiving funds from the federal government for educating the children of military or federally connected personnel. Officials in Milan use these funds as a way to equalize, in their minds, white and black public schools, but still keep them separate. They built a new gymnasium in 1951 with this money. Now, the 60s saw many changes to the Gibson County Training School. The first change occurred in 1961 when the school became known as Polk Clark. The new name recognized the efforts of Dr. Silas W. Polk, the man who spearheaded the original effort to build the school, and Miss Selita Crudup Clark, a beloved first-grade teacher and dean of girls from 1926 until her death in 1959. The ownership of the school passed to the City of Milan School Board in 1963 as Gibson County faced increasing pressure to desegregate its public schools. In 1965, the school board passed the Right to Choose method, allowing folks to choose what elementary school they would attend. And there I was in first grade at that moment. In my class, there's two black kids, James White and Perry Hampton. Of course, I had no idea they were different. This is how we're all born. We're not born with prejudice. You don't naturally see skin color or hair color or eye color as a difference. It's society that ruins us. My first best friend was James. You see, in the first week, we learned that we had the very same birthday. We became brothers. Not long after that, my mom took me to the doctor, and I was sitting in the waiting room, 
with my mom and I had to go to the bathroom. So I walked down the hall to the bathroom and then I got a drink of water. This was at Dr. Phil Williams' office. When I came back, onto uh, there was a small room on the side and I walked by it and I saw James and his mom sitting there in this small room by themselves. Damn, there's my friend James. I immediately went into the room and me and James were sitting in the floor playing when a nurse stomped in and grabbed me by the arm and pretty much jerked me out. I, I remember it to this day. Suddenly, I was back in the big waiting room wondering what the hell happened. But, but this time, the schools weren't truly integrated. Then 1969 happened. The Milan High School all-white football team set a record by going 0-10 that year. The head coach, Milton Mayo, got fired and then made him the superintendent, which really seemed wrong to appoint such a loser, but that's what they did. The town was a swirl at the winless season, but enough of the townsfolks noted that the same year, Polk Clark High School had won the state black football championship. Isn't it funny how sports brings us together? So the way was paid for integration. The next year, they turned Polk Clark into grades K through 3. Katie McKellar into grades 4 through 6. Park Avenue became the junior high school, and the high school remained. Our bus route suddenly took us from the ammunition plant through Sitka and Grabaw, picking up both white and black kids. Listen, there was quite a few characters who got on Sitka. Billy Dawson became a friend of mine, but there was one guy named Joe Moe. I think his name was Joe Moore, and, and he was kind of a hood or whatever, but he was pretty cool and, and kind of funny. But, but anyway, the following year, surprise, surprise, Milan won the state football championship, and a dynasty had begun. It pretty much continues today. When I was a little kid, my dad coached Little League. His team was Harvey Aluminum. They were the contractor at the Army Ammunition Plant, and they had green uniforms. Now, we've already talked about them, but we did omit one detail. During the draft one year, my dad chose the first black kid to be allowed into the Little League. I didn't know it, but it was highly controversial. I heard my dad talk about race every now and then, and he would always tell folks that some of his best friends were black. Or maybe he said colored. I, I don't know. But... I did sometimes wonder why some of my pop's best friends had never been to our house. Hmm. Years later, my little brother, who's actually a very good ball player, something I never was, played on an all-star team that was coached by Linton Donnell, a black man whose son was a friend of my brother's, and he was actually a good friend of my dad. They worked together at the plant. Anyway, even at this time, there were still racists who hated blacks in our town. And when Linton and his team lost the game in Trenton one night, a carload of these rednecks tried to run their car off the road. My brother was in the car. I mean, we knew the father who did this, and, yep, he really did have a redneck. Jerk. A few years later, I was coaching a 13-year-old all-star team, and we decided that a black kid named Tony Frame was not only our best catcher, but maybe our best player. But by him starting would mean that a white kid wouldn't get to start, which didn't bother me because I, I wanted us to win. I thought the best kids should play. But the white kid's father told my assistant coach 
that he would get us if Tony played. Britt and I decided that Tony would start. The chicken shit pulled his kid off the team. Seriously. Other parents screamed at us and the team lost horribly as the kid's own parents pulled against us. True story. When I got to high school, I was a little taller and wanted to play basketball. As a junior, I gave it a shot. I was in pretty good shape and I figured that basketball would get me in better shape for my tennis in the spring. Boy, was I right. Coach Johnson ran our asses off. And when actual practice began, I was introduced to T.C. Jones and his elbows. He taught me a lot without saying anything. My eyes stayed black for weeks. I mean, weeks and weeks, because I would eat, literally eat his elbows. Now, T.C. was a senior, and I considered him a man. He was a leader of our team and the toughest guy I knew. One day after practice, he came up to me and he said, Hey, how do you think I spell my name? I thought, was this a trick question? I said, I I don't know. I mean, it's not just TC or does it stand for something? He pulled out a social security card. It said T-E-E-S-E-E, TC. Wow. Anyway, when it came time for Coach Johnson to pick the kids who'd make the traveling team, much to my surprise, I made the team. I was the last pick. Now, I think either Coach Johnson felt sorry for me or appreciated the fact that I kept coming back for more punishment from TC. The team was pretty darn good, and we made it to the state tournament. But we didn't get the support that the football team did. I wonder why. One night, coming home from Bolivar, the cheerleaders were behind us, behind our bus, and Pat Hood mooned us. It was not a sign of love. I mean, it was, it was ridicule, and it was just part of the deal, right? I actually got to play in a few games at cleanup time. At Northside, I was playing, and our radio play-by-announcer, the great Bill Haney, referred to me as deceptively slow. I think that meant that I was slower than I looked. That probably wasn't a compliment, and all of my friends gave me hell about it. A kid my age, a slow-looking point guard named William D. Sal, he was our best player. D. just had that thing. You know, he was was just a winner. I remember one night in Obion County, we were playing the Rebels. And I'm pretty sure that there were no black kids in Obion County because the gym was full of Confederate flags and their starters were five white kids who all looked the same. I swear, they were all six foot five with crew cuts. It turned out to be a hell of a game. And at the end, it was 88 to 88. 88 to 88. It's a lot of eights. As D walked the ball down the floor. He's moving slow like D always did. Time ticking away. 10 seconds, 5 seconds. D just kind of sauntered up to the top of the key. And suddenly, a 25-foot jump shot. Nothing but net. We rushed to the bus to get the hell out of there. What an awesome moment. Of course, I did get out of that little town and made it to Memphis. There, I got into student government. I was Secretary of State for the first student government black president named Kim Barnett, then ran the campaign for the next black student government president, the Reverend Frank Anderson, who we worshipped. What a guy. We went to the Tennessee Intercollegiate State Legislature, and he became the first black governor of the Tennessee Intercollegiate State Legislature. Now, Frank was an orator like I'd never seen. 
The man could inspire the dead to rise up. No wonder he went on to become a big-time reverend. Hey, and more about this later. But our fraternity also became the first of all the all-white fraternities, fraternities to induct a minority. Again, it was, no, it was a no-brainer. We just picked the guys who fit in. But in the system that time, you had serious segregation. The only thing that was integrated was intramurals, where the black fraternities played, and that was fine with us. We didn't discriminate. We pranked them just like everyone else. Phi Beta Sigma had a hell of a basketball team. We were leading the standings for the overall intramural championship, and we really needed to do well in basketball. Now, we had some good players, but Phi Beta Sigma, I think they could have beaten some small colleges. We wondered what to do, and as president, it was up to me to come up with a good idea. On the morning of the game, I called their house. I said, yes, this is Jim Vest from the HPER building, the intramural office. I wanted to inform you that your game today has been moved to 4.30 instead of 3.30. Funny shit, I thought. So imagine my surprise when we arrived at 3.30, and they were already there. And they were not happy. It was rough. We were getting killed and bruised and beat up. So eventually, we had to put our pledges in the game to finish. <laughs> we never tried to prank Phi Beta Sigma again. Not long after the basketball fiasco, the university held Greek Week. On Friday, they had a big congregation on the mall in front of the university center. It was a huge group of folks. Suddenly, I saw some of our pledges with water balloons. One of them hit a black kid right in the face. And suddenly, our pledge was surrounded by the Alphas. Shit. I had to run to this aid because, let's face it, only we could abuse our pledges. When I got there, these Alphas casually mentioned that they were going to kill this white kid. I think they said they might kill me as well when suddenly the Alpha president, Jeffrey Carson, intervened. He saved my life by screaming at his guys. An alpha man is a gentleman. Wow. What a classy guy. They immediately stood back, and for the rest of my college days, Jeffrey Carson was a friend of mine. For the liner notes of this episode and all episodes of the Southern Tales podcast, please go to broadneckmusic.com where you'll find out more about the episode. You can also find more about our kick-ass theme music from Audra Brown, one of Memphis's best young songwriters. You can also contact me at stalespodcast at gmail.com. You can ask questions, hey, or you can tell me your stories, and eventually your stories can get on Southern Tales podcast. Once again, Thanks for listening, and please tell a friend about the fun we're having. See you next week on Southern Tales, 20 Minutes and a Smile. Smile.